Welcome to Unfuck Your Brain, the only podcast that teaches you how to use psychology, feminism, and coaching to rewire your brain and get what you want in life. And now here's your host, Harvard Law School grad, feminist rock star, and master coach, Kara Lowenthal. Hello, my chickens. I am so excited to bring you the third and the I'm hopeful will be an ongoing series of my life of me talking to coaches and friends that I love about our brains and us just laughing at the ridiculousness of being a human and inviting all of you to share it. I feel like I try to show up as the crazy human I am all the time, but a lot of the feedback that I've gotten about the first couple of interviews like this I did were that it was such a relief for you all to hear that we're all just normal humans, even though I feel like I'm always telling you what a crazy human I am. So this will be no different, I'm sure. So today we are talking to Stacey Bayman, one of my coaching and life loves, and I'm going to let her introduce herself, although some of you probably already know her. Take it away. Yeah. So I'm Stacey Bayman. I work with life coaches. I teach them how to sell and make money. And Cara, I was listening to the episode. Okay. So first of all, I just have to say this. <laughs> per usual in our relationship, we have very different ways of being in our businesses. And so per my usual, I have extensively prepped for this conversation, <laughs> taken lots of notes, thought about it, got in the space, like taken it very seriously. So mm-hmm. I just have to tell you that ahead of time. And in my prep work, I listened to the podcast that you did with Rachel. And mm-hmm. I was thinking about when you guys were talking that we just have to tell everyone, we three were all that's from the same right. certification class. You were there too. That's right. That's so crazy. I, and that's why it's so – I don't think Rachel and I talked about this on our episode. We totally could have. We once had this like coaching fight where she was extremely upset with me that I was suggest – she would totally laugh about this. So it's fine to talk about it. We tell the story all the time. We went to New Orleans for my – so it was like a year after coach training, 2016. I like left my legal job. I was turning 35, I think. And so I like took all my 10 best friends to New Orleans. And we were like on the patio at that house. I remember this conversation. And she was so mad at me because I was suggesting that like more than one life coach in the world could make $100,000. It was like (laughs) – Fantastic. Isn't that amazing? She was like – I was like – I've never heard you tell, tell that story before. You haven't? No, I think I have. Oh, I think yeah. I've heard I mean, that it was story so somewhere. classic because you and me and she were all in the same training group. And she was like, whenever this is a, like, if you're a coach, whenever your clients are trying to talk about statistics to you, that's when they are full of shit and just have no idea, like, what they're really talking about. That's she so was good. Like, she started trying to argue with me about how, like, I mean, sure, a few, how many coaches in the world can make $100,000? Like, a few of them. But what would the possible odds be that two of them could be in the same certification class? Right. And like now so the three fantastic. of us have seven figures. There businesses. are three of us. There's yeah. actually and a there, lot of successful coaches from right, that Right. I was going to say. Yeah. And there's a whole bunch of other ones who are like in the multiple six figures, I'm sure. So I always yeah. think about that. Like she was just – she was so mad about that. <laughs> yes. We were all in the, <laughs> we were all in the same We were all class. just duking out all the drama. Yeah. That was such a magic – a magic certification class at that Holiday Inn. The Holiday Inn <laughs> Express. The Holiday, the Holiday Inn not Express. Even, not even a Holiday Inn. A holi- Can you believe that our little empire started? Well, Listen, not empire, but I cannot use that word. was enchanted by El Dorado <laughs> and the Holiday Inn Express. <laughs> and I was getting made so much fun of because I was staying like off campus, quote unquote, in a yurt. In a yurt. <laughs> I remember. 
for me. Like, and there's a girl here that's staying in a yurt. I had to look up what that was. Brooke had ever heard the word yurt before. I don't think she knew what was happening. I, I hadn't either. And I, I just remember thinking, this girl's very adventurous. <laughs> Which is like so the opposite of the truth. If that had been a Four Seasons, I would not have gone off for a yurt. But it was the Holiday Inn <laughs> Express. It had the pancake machine. It's like, what could be better than a machine oh that spits God. out pancakes? Yes. But like uh. from such humble beginnings, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> Yes. That's fantastic. Oh, we're I like, I listened to this crazy lady on the internet that I've never heard of before. I'm going to pay her a few grand and then I'm going to go to Holiday Inn Express in El Dorado yeah. Hills, which is not, yeah. not a center of glamour and intrigue. It was like a strip mall. <laughs> with, I thought like, it was, though. I was like, this. Like this is like well, the difference of our Kentucky, background, right? Usually. Yeah, exactly. I grew up poor in the in the Midwest. Like I was enchanted. I was like, this is the most magical place. There's all these like, what a cute little shopping area. There's all these amazing restaurants. Well, like you were like, there's I mean, a pancake machine. There's a pan- <laughs> okay, you will really laugh at this. This is, but like I seriously feel very fondly of this moment. But I remember when we had Mastermind. At, I don't know if you were if you went to that one. In San Diego at the mm-hmm. Omni La oh, Costa. Yeah. Yep. And I walked in and I remember, I don't know if you remember Nicole, but Nicole and I are still besties and oh, she yeah. was in our yeah, class yeah. too. And I messaged her, I'm not joking. And I was like, Nicole, there is strawberry water in the lobby. <laughs> <laughs> this was like to You're me. Like, hold the phone. I have found <laughs> this is how the Kennedys live. They have strawberry water here. It was like ultimate luxury, in my opinion. Like, I have arrived. There is water in the lobby, and there are floating strawberries inside. Oh, man. Yeah, that was when things started to go slightly upscale. We had a few years of the Holiday Inn Express, and then started getting fancier. But I just thought it was all upscale, so I guess that's a lesson You were like, look at this. It's next to a Target. I mean, come on. (laughs) What you, I don't remember what a Target. I do remember a very cute shopping center. But now if you follow St- – oh, there was a Target. If you follow Stacey – if we went back there now with your now fancy eyes, you would be like, I'm sorry, what? Like, this if is you, true. If you booked a vacation there now, you would be texting me hysterically like, oh, my God, where am I? This is unacceptable. What? Where's the 100%. strawberry water? Yeah, if you follow you Stacey on like- social media, you'll see that her life now does not happen at the Holiday Inn Express. <laughs> I just have, I, I'm rooted. <laughs> but yeah. You're grounded. Neil and I laugh. I'm grounded. Yeah. Neil and I laugh all the time because we're like, did the did this chain or this place, like, did it go downhill or did we go so far up the hill? Right. Totally <laughs> all the way up the hill. Now it doesn't jive. Okay. Well, listen, you have given me a lot of permission to be myself and not coach myself out of being myself. So this is the best example of that. I need to prepare a lot. Like it takes me hours to come up with webinar content, hours to do my podcast, everything, all the content I create, it takes me a long time. And I feel really good that like, even though it's in my process is definitely messy and kind of crazy. Like I go through a lot of drama and then like, it's like genius always comes out of it. Mm-hmm. But I used to make myself so wrong about that. Like I need to be able to just do it on the fly. I need to be able to not prepare. And then you said something just so casually 
one day. Like, oh, I don't prepare for anything. Like, that's my work. You know, it really helps me be free. Something about that. And I really took that in and was like, wait a minute, what if I just didn't try to manage my mind out of who I am or what I prefer or how I like to be prepared and like how that makes me feel? Like, I don't need to change that about myself. I just need to make sure I give myself enough time in my schedule to do that. Mm -hmm. It's so funny because I have the exact opposite struggle, right? Which is that I'm like, Stacy prepares all the time. And so like, I should be more like that, right? And I'm like, I have just been getting coaching recently on just for my clients. So my clients know it's not that I don't prepare at all. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just throwing shit out there. Yeah. But no, but it's true. Like I don't go through multiple drafts of the podcast. I don't, but I've had this whole story my whole life. That's basically like, okay, well, you can do like A work on the fly, but that just means that you should be doing A plus plus work, right? We are, we're always yeah. just making ourselves wrong, whatever our thing is, right? And so yeah. I'm, sti- I'm still getting coached on that. I got coached on that this week in multiple different scenarios of like accepting that it's a little bit of a double-edged sword because on the one hand, I can do things pretty quickly. On the other hand, it's not like that means I can then do 10 of them. It's like I can do the same amount in a day that another person does, but I do it in 90 minutes. But then it's not like I have brain power for the rest of the day. That's just all yeah. dead time now. And like <laughs> I've been going through my business. I've been – what I realized is I've been like making myself artificially busy oh, and yeah. like filling things in or just like basically sitting at the computer doing nothing for three hours even though I'd yeah. done the one thing for the day that needed to get done that needed my brain power because my thought was like, well, okay, if you can do things fast, that means you should be able to do more things. Or, you know, whereas yes. I'm now really just seeing like, no, actually just my brain is amazing for two hours a day and then it's kind of shit the rest of the time. <laughs> like that's yeah. just how I am. And it I think always it's like the been. opposite. Yeah, it's right. the opposite for me, right? Like I have to really cut stuff out of my schedule and cut things out of my plan and be like, really prioritizing because sometimes things take me a lot longer than other people. So I might work a full six hours or four hours, you know, depends. I teeter that line as well of like, I only have a certain amount of productive hours in a day. But yeah, I've had to like cut my schedule and I don't have lots of like sit around time. And I love that you said, we were talking about this just texting, I think one time and we, and you said something along the lines of, Either way, we're not escaping the mind drama, right? Like, I'm like, I shouldn't <laughs> right. have to prepare less. And you're like, I should prepare more. Right, it's right. like our brain's just coming with us everywhere we go. Right. I remember in this vein also, I don't know if you don't want to talk about this, we can not talk about it or cut it out. But what I remember is texting with you about your honeymoon. Yeah. Oh, Do you I don't remember, remember this? That. No, it was tell basically me. like, we were texting about your honeymoon and you were sort of like, you were like already going on a fancy honeymoon, basically. But oh, then I had you were drama like, about how much I was spending You had on so it. much drama like, about that, like the last 20%, right? It was like already <laughs> a fancy thing. It was not like, right? It was like already yeah. fancy. And then you had all this drama about like the last 20% of fancy, right? Yeah. And I felt like it's like that's something we do. It's the same for me. It's like I'm going to like create all this drama. I'm never going to be somebody who works 12 hours straight brain-wise yeah. in a day, obviously. They're like that ship so far sailed. But then I'm still yeah. torturing myself about the little difference between like this and this. And with you, it was like – you already have this fancy honeymoon. You want to be fancy. Like what? Just go all the way, right? Just like lean into who you are. I remember texting you about that. I was like, Cara, I am going to spend X amount (laughs) on my honeymoon, right? I send you the amount and you just write back in all caps. Do you know who you are? Yeah, you were like, I don't think I can do what? That's crazy. And I, yeah, I was like, have you met yourself? Like, oh, that's what you said. Have you met yourself? (laughs) 
That was like the most freeing thing too. Yeah, it's like stuff like that, like really impactful for me to have permission or there's like just a lot of the essence of who you are where you'll just have a belief or a thought about something and you'll see that it's optional and you'll be like, yeah, and I'm fine with it. Like I'm keeping that thought. And that has also helped me unwind a lot of like, we like to constantly coach ourselves for that like endless improvement. Mm -hmm. And it's fine sometimes to just have an opinion about something that you know you could have an optional different thought, but you see both options and you're choosing the one that you have. Right. right? And as you're saying that, I'm thinking it's like, what do we think we're all going to do? We're going to all coach ourselves to be what, identical to each other? It's like we think that there's some better way to be and then if we're all supposed to coach ourselves to be that, then we would have like no diversity in the world, right? Everybody would be like trying to be just right. this one way, yeah. which would be so boring and we don't need that. We need like all the difference. Well, so sister, good. you have given me lots and lots of permission <laughs> to just be. I'm me. responsible for all the coats that Stacy owns. Those are all my fault. <laughs> the maximalism <laughs> in maximalism. my life. Yeah. The insane I'm into honeymoon. It. So the first thing that I feel like, not the first thing, but like one, the first thing came to mind, I did prepare, I took notes for this episode about what you taught me. Yeah, you should. (laughs) So I came from this, it's about selling, but it's really about a bigger picture thing. So I come from this like (laughs) Jewish New York family full of lawyers. When you go through law school, it like shapes the way you think. And then especially if you grow up in a family of people who already went through law school and then you go through law school. And so what you learn to do is like always look for not just what could go wrong in a scenario, like that I had kind of worked on already, but in terms of like when you think about persuasion and communication, it's like you're always looking for where people need to be convinced, like where people might not agree with you, where the holes in your logic might be. Like it's sort of like a little bit of this negative. It's like you're thinking about all the ways people could disagree with you. And one of the things that you – I might get this wrong, but I think that you teach about selling and I feel like you've taught me (laughs) – maybe I understood it wrong – is – like focus on the people who like yeah. want to work with you and it's just they just need one more little bit of help for it. Like they're they're on the edge or they want to do it. They're just looking for yeah. a reason to say yes, right? And that yeah. is, it was like such a fundamental – because it's not just in selling, right? It's like in friendships, in dating, in any kind of situation where you're sort of in some way like negotiating or getting to know a person or whatever it is, like – I think like even people can apply that like to dating and romance and friendships and social relationships of all kinds so much, right? It's like we tend to focus on the people we think don't like us, right? We want to like win them over to prove something or to like validate ourselves. And then we're like ignoring all the people who are like available and like us. And I feel like in selling in that way too, it's like I was often aiming my selling at like, okay, people would have these 10 objections and that's like what I need to think about. And you of course teach a lot and you can maybe even go more into this distinction. Like you teach a lot about coaching over objections, but it's just like, that's not like the focus. The focus is like believing they want to and thinking about it that way. And that was a really powerful shift for me. Yeah. I mean, I think it's like, this is probably not a great analogy, but I do think a lot of people try to sell like, I imagine it's like if you are a liberal candidate, like government candidate, right? And you like try to market and campaign to conservatives. Right. right? Like, it's you're like, we disagree about everything. Let me try to convince you. <laughs> right. Right. It's right. like the people who th- 
think coaching is like for the quacks and like crazies and therapy is like the thing that you have to do. And that's the established thing, right? Like don't talk to those people. Like don't write to them over and over and over explaining the difference between therapy and coaching and making coaching seem so much more professional. And like, don't try to like convince someone. And I really think your energy just tells you what you're doing. Cause I do often think about like when I'm writing what the person's next thought might be. And that thought might be like a challenge, right? They might be challenging. So if I'm writing copy, it's like I might write one sentence and then imagine the challenge they might give me about that one sentence and then write the next sentence. Mm -hmm. But it's like we're on the same page. We have the same goal. I'm just imagining their mind might have a little resistance, right? Or questions or be like, could you clarify? So I'm going to do that level of objections, but... I'm not going to sell coaching to someone who doesn't believe in coaching or doesn't think it's right. legit. It's not adversarial, I think, is the big difference. Yeah. Like lawyers are trained, and I think some yeah. people get into this even if they're not a lawyer, in selling, but not just – and, you know, most of my listeners are not life coaches, but it's not just about that. Like even if you go into negotiating with your boss for a raise, right? right? It's like yeah. you go into it with this like – adversarial, like, yes. I've thought about all the reasons you might not, all my thoughts I have about the negative thoughts you might have about me, and, like, that's how I'm going to counter this, right? As opposed to, like, we're all on the same right. page here. We want this business to succeed or this company or this nonprofit, whatever it is, to succeed. Yeah, like, yeah. here's all the ways I contribute to the team. Here are some concerns I can see you might have. Here's how I've thought about them. But it's just, like, a different emotional orientation as opposed yeah. to, like, okay, you have objections and I have to overcome them and counter them and, like, convince yeah. you versus like speaking to the people who are like already on your side. They just maybe have some questions or concerns. Yeah. It's like when you're speaking, this is what came to me. It's like you're speaking to the people who want the discourse. They mm-hmm. want the discussion. They want the conversation versus the people who don't even want to have the conversation. And I find a lot of people want to either start with a mindset, like they in their mind think the person doesn't want to have the conversation. Right. And they might totally want to have the conversation, right? Like if you think about someone going to have a difficult conversation with the boss, like in their mind, they're like, oh, I have to go talk to my boss. He's not, he or she isn't going to want to talk to me. They're not going to want to right. hear this. They're going to be really stressed that I'm bringing this up. They're going to think I'm wasting their time. Like when you just go into it, even with that mindset, because sometimes you don't know where the other person is, right? If it's like an actual person you're interacting with, you don't know where they're at. But just your belief that they're not going to want the discussion versus they would be totally open to the discussion has you frame the discussion Mm -hmm. in a way that's either adversarial or I don't know what the opposite of that would be. Tell me the fancy word for that. (laughs) (laughs) Cooperative. Collaborative. Cooperative. Cooperative. Fantastic. Yes. Yeah. Because I, I think so much of that comes also like obviously we both work mostly with women even though that's not. I specifically aim it at that, but for you, most, you know, more life coaches are women than men. But I think, like, women in in particular are so socialized to, like, doubt their own value and to feel like they shouldn't ask for anything. And so they, like, we get very, like, defensive and agitated before we even engage in those conversations. And then we're already coming into it with from that mindset. Yeah, totally. What's your number two? Okay. So this one's really simple. It's not deeply profound, but it was for me, seriously. I think it's like, it was a a serious changing point. I remember exactly where I was when I, this happened. (laughs) So I was on my way with Neil. We were in LA and we were driving to the airport and I look on my phone and I had been listening to your podcast, The Lawyer Stress Solution. Oh, really? I know. This is like back in the day. Yeah, back in the day. And I was subscribed to the podcast and... I look on there one day and it 
suddenly says, unfuck your brain. (laughs) And I had this like an earthquake shift inside of me of like, can she do that? Can she just change her brand overnight? What about all those people that were following that podcast? What about all that money? Like what is happening? And it was just like, I'm literally like, it blew my mind. And I remember thinking like, what sufficiency must she be in to just like completely walk away from that and like Mm. go what I felt like was like a very opposite direction, like a very, Mm -hmm. you know, just a different direction. And it just gave me, I mean, it was just something you did, right? Being willing to make a strong business decision and move forward with it. But it was just really powerful for me. And then, you know, like, I know because it's like it was it was able to be that powerful for you because we weren't as close back then. So you didn't see the crazy behind it. (laughs) Right. So like, (laughs) yeah, probably. It was like you just saw the outside. You were like, wow, what sufficiency? And then you didn't see that I was like losing my mind the whole time. But I did do it. I mean, it still counts. But yeah, that's so funny. Yeah. All I, I, I mean, that was like I did that one day business workshop with somebody where I we came up with that with Rachel Rogers. And then. I, but I just like felt like I was gonna throw up the entire day. I mean, it was just like <laughs> there was a lot of there was oh, a lot so of crazy. Drama so something involved. so like, yeah, it was very impactful. Like it gave me a lot of freedom to be like, oh, I can just change things. Like I can just delete yeah. my podcast. I can just launch something new. Yeah, it's so interesting I think now it that was, you say it, talk about it because I do think part of what helped me with that was like, like I feel like some people when they get to be coaches. It's like they've done a bunch of things that were like coaching adjacent, so it's not that weird or different. Like they were like a yoga teacher and then they were like a nutritionist mm-hmm. and then they, it's like just kind of one little step down the line. But I yeah. had already like blown up an entire <laughs> like different career, yeah. right? I had already like been like – it's like once you've like left the law professor path to become a life coach, one niche to another is just a week or two of drama. Like that's not so <laughs> you know, like, – like yeah, I feel that now. Like, yeah, totally. Now that I, but like, I'm just now that I think about it, it's like I did have a little bit. I yeah. did have drama about it, but it wasn't that intense. And I do think that's probably partly why. Is I was already like, well, I mean, I've already like done yeah. the unthinkable thing, kind of. So like <laughs> going from like lawyer to life coach, that was like a year of drama I had to work through. Right. The, yeah, I remember coach training. Like I remember yeah. you getting coached on it. Oh yeah, I wouldn't even call myself a life coach. Yeah. I was like a cognitive coach or some bullshit. <laughs> Whatever. Who knows? A fancy life coach. <laughs> a fancy. I'm a Harvard life. I'm just a Harvard coach. That's just what I'm going to call myself. It wasn't even about the Harvard. It wasn't about the school stuff. It was really about like the lawyer. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like the kind of intellectual. I mean, it's also such an interesting. I'm trying to think. There is a lesson in this, but I'm not sure how to explain it. But it's like I was so hung up on the intellectual social prestige of my former career. But like what I didn't understand was like, it's not only prestigious in that career. Like, I do think, you know, it's helped me in my positioning in my business that I went to those schools. But it is sort of, it's like when we're in one group, even though we want to leave the group, we're still thinking with like that group's mentality. Yes. Right? So we're sort of yeah. like, oh, it would be like, it's such a difference to like, of course, everybody thinks legal academics are brilliant. Of course, nobody outside of legal academics thinks about them at all or even knows they yeah. exist. Right? But like when you're in it, you kind of can't see outside of it. And the same with yeah. like, I feel like I've made a lot, I think a lot of the work that both of us and everybody has to do is like being willing to leave like an in-group or a previous identity or whatever it is yes. to like go to the next one. And it always, when you're in it, it always feels like there's nothing else in the world. And like, how can you 
leave these people, whether it's like your former clients or your former life or a relationship or whatever. And then it's like you finally get to the outside and you're like, oh, my God, there's like a whole big world out here. Like that was not at all the only set, you know, the only person I could be with or the only career in the world or the only whatever. Yeah. And I think it's so interesting, too, with like the prestige that you felt like with being a lawyer I noticed myself feeling like early on when I started business coaching, like that there was a better prestige with business Mm -hmm. coaching than life coaching. Mm -hmm. And so from that moment on, I never let myself tell people I was a business coach when they asked Mm -hmm. what I did. And really there was like a middle ground part where it didn't matter. But like now we have like the kind of money that's very noticeable where people are like, what do you Mm -hmm. do? How do you have all this money? Or how are you doing these things? And like we recently paid off our house and the bank people were just like, what is happening? And <laughs> how's and, that underground grow farm you have going? Where else do people make all that money out of nowhere? Right. As young <laughs> as we are. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I now don't tell people I'm a sales coach or a business coach, which my brain says would be like the more prestigious thing or help mm-hmm. people understand the level of money that we have. And I just always say, I'm a life coach. And then it's so interesting to coach myself with what comes up. Like, right. And not only that, like, you're a life their... coach with a retired husband. Yeah. Like you're yeah. the breadwinner. And then to even like see their reaction and yeah. kind of, it's just very interesting that there is something about that. Like I'm still kind of working through it, I guess. I think that's so real though. And I think Rachel and I talk about this a lot that I went from this world where when I was in the feminist movement, well, I still think I'm in the feminist movement professionally, but like when I was in the kind of institutional infrastructure of it, like yeah. working at the national NGOs that work, whatever, on these issues, right, where you make like not that much money <laughs> or whatever. I mean, I don't remember my fellow salary was like maybe $60,000 a year in New York. Not nothing, but it's not obviously big money. Yeah. And so like these are – and it's mostly set by women, but like so many – not all by any means, but like a not insignificant proportion – of the people who work in those organizations are able to do it and live in a place like New York City because they have a spouse who makes money or they have family money or whatever, right? And so it's like some not insignificant portion are like women married to investment bankers and that's how they can make it work. And then I'm like in this life coach world where like people's politics are all over the place and I like look around our little millionaire mentoring group and we have like the Mormon coach and the, you know, like Jody coaches all the Mormon moms. And then Corinne calls herself a redneck weight loss coach. And then like <laughs> we have, right? like everybody's all over the place. But all these women are the bread owners, right? Yep. They've like all retired their husbands or they've brought their husbands into the businesses with them. Like money isn't the only indicator, obviously, of like empowerment or liberation or anything, but it is just like an interesting, it's just all more complicated than it like first appears, right? And like the communities that you move through. I don't know what my original point was. Yeah, because I think it's like, it's not even just like, it's not even just like saying I'm a life coach and that's why I have all this money. And then like, I guess it's just like my perceived what I think they're probably thinking, like, what? How are you making that kind of money being a life coach? But then there's also that like, I'm also a young woman, Right? right in my early thirties, having like that Tony kind Robbins. of money. Yeah, you're right, not right. like I'm yeah. sixty and a six foot four tall white dude. Yeah, yeah, I'm like in my Lululemons. <laughs> <laughs> I know when like, I was like apartment hunting in New York. I mean, because space is at such a premium here, you know. When I would like look at apartments and all the brokers would be like, "It's just you," you know. And I was like, "Yeah, 
it's just me. Like, the, yeah. It's yeah. Kind of I think wild. it's like young female wealth and then in something as new and misunderstood or or not well known as life coaching i think that's kind of like the triple trifecta yeah and it depends who your community is right like in my world the world i grew up in wealth was not surprising and even like a a youngish woman but the idea that it's from being a life coach is very confusing right like if it was like yeah i went to wharton and now, you know, and then I like got in on the ground floor of a startup and then my equity vested. Right. Everybody would be like, yeah, totally. Right. Like, right. Yeah, yeah. You know, my mother has a friend whose kid I think helped found Slack. Like, it's not like oh, even younger same. people making a lot of money is so crazy. Yeah. But the idea that it's like from being a life coach, that part is extremely <laughs> confusing to people. <laughs> Wait, what? Yeah. Excuse so me. So good. You do the what? Okay. So the second thing that I think. I feel like in some ways these all collapse into one, but I guess everything we always teach just collapses into like, it's your thought. (laughs) I think think the second thing that I have really learned from you is that it truly is mindset over tactics every time, right? Like I feel like you're – and you talk about this a lot in your teaching that like you didn't have a defined niche and you didn't have an email list and you didn't have, right, like all the things to make your first 100K or – probably your first million. It's like, it comes up for me every time that I'm like, Stacy, what's wrong with my email sequence, right? <laughs> we have a deal that Stacy can text me forever about personal life and social justice coaching, and I can text her forever about sales coaching. That's our like <laughs> trade. And so, but like every time I'm like, okay, well, Stacy's just going to tell me like which of the seven selling principles I'm buying. It's like every time I think the answer is going to be some kind of like concrete tactical thing where you can be like, oh, well, you're not following point seven of like the art of selling. And so you just need to like do that differently. (laughs) But then of course, every time you're like, so what are your thoughts about this email sequence, Cara? Like, how are you feeling? (laughs) How are you you feeling when you wrote it? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. How are you? Do you feel good about selling this thing? Because I think maybe you feeling terrible about it's not helping. Did you enjoy being on that webinar? Right, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Looks like you were having fun. So, number one, this is also just for every coach listening to understand that, like, I still have selling drama. Stacy still sometimes has selling drama. Like, yeah, there's no. We're always so shocked. Like, so for everyone listening that does not know me, I know how to sell so well because I used to sell infomercial oh, products. Yeah, I didn't have like, to tell your whole story. You need oh, to tell yeah. them. You told them you grew up poor and now you're an amazingly wealthy life coach, but like what happened in yeah. between? Tell your story. No, to be fair, I made decently good money. So it's just so f- interesting to hear you talk about 60K as like it's not a lot of money. And I made like 60K a year selling mops and slicers and choppers mm-hmm. in you know, yeah, wait, grocery so tell stores. Tell people what you did. Yeah. So I would go into department stores and grocery stores and just retail chains all across the country and like do live, we called them like live infomercials and sell the product in the store. I was the best at it in probably the entire industry. (laughs) And I was really good at it. I did it for seven years, but I made like 60K a year. And at like 25, I was like, I'm rich. Like, Mm-hmm. totally rich. I'm traveling all over these, staying in all these luxury housing. And I really thought like I had won the jackpot side note. But anyways, people are always so shocked that I'll tell this, that we would do 10 to 12 shows a day, five to seven days a week, depending on like some stores you would work 14 days straight. And every single time I would go, you have to like, we would go make an announcement on the intercom for the store and grab everyone's attention, tell them where we're <laughs> 
giving away our free gifts. And then they come and they get a free gift and we do the demo and then they can buy the product. And every time I went to make that announcement, I mean, I would feel literally sick to my stomach, so anxious. And keep in mind, I'm the best at this. Like I won top salesperson every single year in a row. I won trips to all over because of my sales record. I was training people and still I would have to talk myself into making the announcement because I was so anxious because I would always say it's a live show. So you never know what you're going to get. So you don't know what's going to happen. And I would just be so anxious about that experience. And I just kept doing it anyways. Right. I just like, and I still feel that way a large amount of the time about all kinds of stuff. I even oh, yeah. get nervous you're, before you're coaching calls. Like, I don't know if I'll be able to fill this. And I'm always like, oh my God, you're going to fill it. It's going to be fine. <laughs> I should also specify about the 60K that I'm talking about, like for a lawyer in New York, right? Like New York, I mean, people, the cost of living in Manhattan is like 60 times anywhere else. And, you know, law school is also expensive. But yes, I totally take your point. I was like Um, a nomad. I didn't even have like an apartment or anything. I just, I had a storage unit and just fly all over the country. Selling those mops at Walmart. Selling those mops (laughs) at Walmart. So like 60K was a lot of money when you don't have any basic living expenses at all. Like, yeah. And you're like 25. Yeah. I always love that story. Turns out how you feel when you do things matters more than the how, which is like something. You just said we all have sales drama. So that's why I said that. Yeah, we all have sales drama. But like, and also that the solution is always the same. It's like at every level there's sales drama. And then the solution is like, how are you thinking about it? Right? Like, what are you thinking about? No, I do. It's not like you can like, I had a client once say, a client and a dear friend of mine once say, so could I just sit in my office and believe that I, and feel really amazing about pet rocks and then just people will buy them? (laughs) And I was like, no, no, no. You have to like actually have something of value and be able to articulate it well and explain to people the value they're going to get, right? Like you have, there is some skill in and some strategy in that. But at the end of the day, like I actually just am recording some new content and I was teaching this idea of the difference between a selling tangible, which is like all the circumstances, like the price of your offer or the product you're selling or the location. If you like, or like for me, when I was in a Walmart or I was in a grocery store or a military chain, whatever it was. And So those are the things that are just circumstances. And then there's the intangibles. That's what people buy. And that's how you feel. That's the experience people have of engaging with you when you're selling to them. And that just matters more than anything else. It's Mm. not that it the other stuff doesn't matter. It's just that is the ultimate client experience is how they are interacting with you and how you're feeling in that experience. Yeah, totally. Just think about all the people who like start cults. I mean, I think a lot of them are true (laughs) believers. That's why they're so good at selling. You know, like I don't think they think they're lying. Like I think they're like true believers. They really believe. And the other people hearing them are like, yeah, that feels amazing. Like I'm in. (laughs) Thankfully, we teach you how to think for yourself. So it's different. Yeah, um, but yeah, true. like the the feeling behind it. I'm always like wanting to know the how, and it's like never the how. I'm despite being a mindset yeah. coach, I'm always like, can we just skip the mindset part and just tell me like, give me an email outline? So I have to keep. I know. That I used lesson. to always think there was like an email outline, and then the Those moment I email stopped outlines, looking, they get for you one. every time. <laughs> Isn't there just an email outline? I don't think people realize like from the outside how much. Just how much copy you write when this is your job. Like you are constantly trying to think of different ways to explain the value of what you do and why it's so life-changing. Yeah. And you get get fatigue from that. That's where I'm at now. I'm like, I don't want to write any more emails. I've got nothing. (laughs) 
You're like, just be in or out. Whatever. It's up to you. (laughs) I love it. What's your number three? I have like two more. And they're they're both from the same experience. So we went to the Caymans together this year before COVID. And one of these experiences you know about, but one of them you don't know about. Oh, so right. just tell them both. This was for master coach training, so people know what we were doing. Oh, I don't know yeah, if that yeah. matters. So, I guess. I guess we I mean, could just go the vacation on vacation know, it would to the be Caymans. Kind of fabulous. But, but everybody knows just... that I hate beaches, so they would be confused. <laughs> That's like one of the things I talk about on the podcast all the time. Is how I don't okay. go to the beach. So. so we got invited to both be master coach instructors for master coach certification for the life coach school. So this first one you don't know about. So this first okay. one is. And this is something like I've experienced many times being in a room with you. But one of my stories that I have to constantly work on is, which is going to sound so crazy to anyone who does know me, but that I have something important to say and that people want to hear it. Mm-hmm. So like when, before you were in our million dollar mentoring group, the first year, like Brooke would always be like, so Stacey, what do you think about that? And I was like, why do people want my opinion? I have nothing to like offer. Like they don't want my mm. opinion. They don't want to know what I have to say. And I remember being in the room with the, there was like, what, 10 of the coaches that were in the the training program. And you would just like interrupt and like go on this like rant and like give your opinion and all your thoughts. And everybody would be like hanging on the words, your words. And I would just be so fascinated with like, I wouldn't speak up the whole time unless someone Mm -hmm. asked me. And I was just so fascinated with how confident you were that people wanted to hear you. And they did, right? But that you had authority and expertise to Mm. offer and value to give. And I remember like from that moment on, I started working on that. Like, could I be that person in the room that would interject? And I think that it was so interesting. I was thinking about it with our meeting that we did virtually. Well, I was in Austin, you were virtual this last meeting and I was interjecting a lot. And it really is coming from that work that I've done on believing that I have something to say that people want to hear it, that you know, I have a lot of contribution to add to the conversation. It just came from like watching you naturally be. Hmm. So that was one of them. I'm turning everybody into an interrupting New York Jewish person. I'm like, <laughs> there's this great linguistics. So good. There's this great linguistics textbooks from the 70s about like New York Jewish conversational patterns, and interrupting <laughs> is like a big one. They call it. It's actually called collaborative conversation. That's like the linguistics term for it. It's like someone else is talking. You're like, I'm going to collaborate with you in what you're saying by interrupting you to share my thought about this. But like, that is really how we, that's how we, yeah, that's intimacy does. But that really was helpful to me because I'm the person that's like, oh, I don't want to interrupt. I'll wait until someone asks me specifically for my opinion. And then even when they do, I'm going to freeze like a deer Mm -hmm. in headlights and be like, they can't possibly (laughs) want to know what I have to say. Right, mm-hmm. which is so fascinating because I really like once I allowed myself to get through that thought that they don't, you know, people don't want me to interrupt. They don't mm-hmm. want what I have to say. Like I don't have something that's more valuable than maybe what someone like Brooke is saying. Right, like once I got past that, I found out that I do have a lot of value. Mm-hmm. People do want to hear from me. Right, right. like totally. I, and it's so it's so interesting. And and when I was in that kind of error, thought error that people didn't want to hear from me. Of course, when I did speak, it was like all jumbled and it would come out Mm -hmm. confusing and it wouldn't be the right thing. And it's just coming from my self-consciousness was creating it to not come out articulately. Right. And I think I'm just getting so much better at that. That's true. Now that I think about it, I do feel like you were much more like participatory and like 
and offering yeah. way more opinions, which is awesome. I love that one. That I know. And people probably think it's like when I'm not <laughs> participating that I'm, I don't even know, like not paying attention, snobby. I've heard a lot of different things and I'm like, nope, just over here trapped in my head. <laughs> <laughs> That's such a good takeaway too. Anybody you think is like snobby or not paying attention <laughs> is probably just trapped in their own brain. Just trapped in my self-consciousness, <laughs> dying inside. Oh, my God. That's like such a, such a truth about human life. We're all just trapped in our own minds. <laughs> okay, so that was one. And then here's okay. the other, which you'll probably be able to better explain it, even though it was my thing, <laughs> because I was in so much drama that I remember there was like, I literally remember you telling me something and then I tried to give you more story and you were like, stop. That literally did not absorb. Like you didn't let that sink in at all. It washed right over you and you tried to go on to the next thing. So I had so much drama that I don't remember it exactly. But the backstory is I had just ended the year. I think I had done 2.5 million before we met at the Caymans. So I had come into, I don't want to say come into a lot of money, but I had created a lot of money Mm -hmm. quickly. And I had a lot of money, but people think that having more money will be what makes them feel safe and sufficient and all of the things. And I was for sure telling myself that at at every level. And I was suddenly just like freaking out about how much money I had. I didn't think it was enough. And you had told me like, you had asked me some questions about like when I had 100K in the bank, did that feel like enough? And I was like, oh, no, no, no. Then it was like 500K, right? And you showed me that it was never going to change if I didn't change my thoughts about it. And just that entire conversation, which I, again, think you'll be able to better articulate because you weren't in the drama. (laughs) But I was like, it was profound for you to tell. I think you said something on the lines of, you know, money will never make you feel safe or secure. Like you're going to have to do that on your own. And as you know, I've said this many times, like in other situations in this talk, but I went to task on that for the next three months. I didn't sell anything. I was like really just focused on getting my my act together with my money. I started managing it better on my calls with my CFO and like really directing that and saying, this is how I need our money to go for me to understand it. I started really playing with the idea of I am responsible with money and it's okay to spend money and saving money isn't going to make me safer, but it's also okay to save that money and that money's enough. It was like I went through the gamut of all of the coaching around money for three straight months. And it was just such a powerful conversation to have. Like no one had, I don't know, no one had ever said that to me. No one had ever presented it in a way that was like, you were like, this is so obvious. What are you doing? What's happening? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I Maybe you can tell it better, but. No, I think that you totally told it right. Right. You were basically like, oh, I, you know, like I need to make more to feel safe because like, what about taxes or what about this or what about this? And meanwhile, you were just talking about how when you made 60K when you were like 25, you were like, holy shit, I'm so rich. Yeah. Right? And I do, yeah. but I do think it is an interesting experience for me because I feel like a lot of, it's like, I see both sides of how powerful it is. Like on the one hand, I think a lot of the people in our coaching circle, like, which I think is incredible, are people who grew up with no money, right? Yeah. And so it's like that, like learning to make money has been so mind-blowing, Right. Yeah. And like they've had to change their whole self-concept around it. But I think when you grow up that way, it is easier to think like that money is what's going to make you feel safe or going to make you feel secure. Right. Yeah. And when you grow up around wealthy people, which, I, you know, I mean, 
I'm not, it's like not like, I don't come from like a family with a private jet, but just, you know, like we yeah, were, yeah. it was never like, we're not going to be able to pay rent or, you know, it was like, right, that was like yeah. never a concern. And, you know, I was able to go to private school with family help, like my grandparents helped. And, you know, it's just, I, it's upper, whatever, upper middle class would be probably the right thing. But we knew, you know, I like, my grandparents had friends who were very wealthy because my grandfather was the dean of the NYU medical school and my parents, my mother yeah. had gone to Yale, so my parents had gone to Ivy League schools. It was just like around even if like we were yeah. not super well, you know? And so so it was just much more obvious to me that like money clearly does not make you happy <laughs> or like not neurotic because <laughs> it's just like surrounded, you know? Like yeah. I, I don't think anybody who grows up wealthy or around wealth thinks that wealth makes you happy, right? Because yeah. you have so many – obvious instances to the contrary all around you. Whereas yeah. if you don't grow up with it and all you see is it's like you only see it from afar, it's when like money is to- like is always a problem. Right. Then you always think it's a solution. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like that's I grew up in the I always tell my, you know, I get a lot of clients that are very attracted to me because they are coming from not amazing economic situations, right? Like they're coming into coaching and they're not having those experiences. And I always say it's like there's a mentality where money feels like breath, like air, like you can breathe if you have it. And there's a point where you have so little money that you literally feel like you can't breathe and you can't live life and you can't get the basic necessities like met. And when you are surrounded with like all of the people in your life experience, that's kind of the situation. And you don't have that like basic, your basic necessities, like you don't have that security and safety. And we did to an extent. I mean, we like still had, you know, we had food, we had clothes like that. But like, it's just I grew up with like that being like such a big part of every decision we make. And every reason we have something or don't have something, it's like the money, you know, when your parents are like, well, money doesn't grow on trees or like stuff like that. It's like you're constantly seeing that money was the problem. So it must be the solution. And then you get the solution and you're like, wait a minute. It's still the problem. <laughs> right. Right. And even the studies show like – and I'm always like – I feel like most psychological studies, you have to take them with a grain of salt because they're done on people who don't know about thought work. And also they're like yeah. mostly done on middle-aged – I mean on college-aged white dudes. But anyway. But even the, you know, the bigger – the studies about this show that like basically, yes, money makes a difference in people's daily stress and life experience if they don't have – right? If they're worried about like feeding their family yeah. and keeping a roof over their head and whatever – and obviously, I still think thought work can help with your approach to that yeah. and how you feel about it. But even without any thought work, right, money yeah. makes a difference at that point. And then once you get above that point, it does not significantly contribute to people's sense of well-being or their happiness, right? I do and I think remember also, like a point – oh, sorry. No, no. See, I, look, I did it. I cut you off. Yeah, you did. Cut me <laughs> off. Come on. You got to be louder though. See, part of the, also the Jewish speech pattern in the linguistics <laughs> textbook be louder is that no new topics are introduced with persistence if a topic is not picked up. <laughs> It is introduced again. So it's like if you try to interrupt <laughs> and, someone, and like the people don't stop to talk about your story, you just try again. Just go do it again. <laughs> Anyone who's ever hung out oh with a New York God. Jewish family knows what that is. So do this it. This is fantastic. Interrupt me. Uh, now I don't even remember what I was going to say because that was so fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'll say what I was going to say and then you'll remember and okay. cut me off. But the other thing you see when you grow up around, you know, is that there's people with abundant mindsets and people with scarcity mindsets with any amount of money. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So like 100%. my, you know, my um, grandmother ran her family. She went to law school in the, I guess, forties, which was like pretty unusual for women at the time. And then she basically couldn't get a good legal job because 
people wouldn't hire, you know, it's like if you, if anybody yeah. saw the movie about Ruth Bader Ginsburg's life, like she went Such through this too, like people wouldn't yeah. hire women lawyers, basically. The only thing she, and my mother, grandmother was an amazing, smart, wonderful person, but she was not Ruth Bader Ginsburg. So she, she like <laughs> didn't triumph over that. <laughs> she could get hired to like do divorces and she didn't want to do that. So anyway, she like ran the family's furniture business instead. And, you know, she made some money yeah. doing that. It was just a store in Brooklyn, not like a major, you know, not like a major corporation. But anyway, but she always like she had got her family had gone through the depression and so it like didn't matter how much money she ended up with right they were like immigrant jews who came to this country with nothing and yeah. then they made some money in the family furniture business and then the depression wiped them out and the business went bankrupt and then they like rebuilt it but you know she made up all the money really and but she always like her mindset was always still like there's not enough and not wanting to spend it and so you do you see both sides like you see that money doesn't make you happy you also see that the amount of money people have doesn't really correlate. It's like rich people worry about money too, if that's their thought pattern, right? <laughs> right? Yes. And then there are like yeah, yeah, yeah. people who don't have as much money who don't worry about money and people who do. It like doesn't correlate. Yes. A hundred percent. I remember what I was going to say. Now it seems not as important as that amazing comment. Um. <laughs> okay. What did you just do? You just diminished – what you're going to offer. You've also prefaced everything you said with how it wasn't profound. Okay. 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 It's very, it's a very Here's profound, profound thing. The most important <laughs> thing you're going to hear on this podcast is about to happen. Whatever Stacey's about to say, that is the most important thing that's going to happen. I can't even say it now. I, okay. I was going to say that I remember that moment where, like, I remember when the money was coming in and it really was making a significant difference in our quality of life. This is kind of cute and funny, but Neil and I both, when we met, lived in apartments that were five miles apart from each other, very small, very old apartment complexes. Like I actually lived there until I was making $300,000. Like I just invested everything in my business. So I wasn't, and I didn't have time to move or, you know, any of that. So when we decided to move in together, that was the first time that we, you know, neither of our apartments was big enough to accommodate the other person. So we got another apartment like together that was a two bedroom in a new gated community. And we both were just like 1200 square feet. I mean, we were like, this is like, Neil was like, this, this is the biggest bump of quality of life ever. Like we were just giddy with having this 1200 square foot apartment. And so I remember that's when I was like, oh, like money can bump up our quality of life. Then like four months later, we bought our house, which is 5,000 square feet, right. which I know is probably insane since you live in New York, but... Yeah. I'm like, like what does that mean? <laughs> like, <what's... laughs> it's It means you have a compound and you never have to leave your house. Like it would be confused. your, it would be your right? That means you're like a sultan of some kind? Is that what... It's like Buckingham <laughs> Palace is 5,000 yes. square feet. <laughs> yes. We have three Christmas trees. <laughs> yeah. So anyways... Right. There was like that time where like all of these changes did, you know, when we we yeah. were able to bring Neil home and he didn't have to go to work and we could travel all the time. And there was a point where we realized we never have to worry about money. Like if we just recently hit a deer, we're in the Midwest driving home and like created $10,000 damage on our car and we don't have to like stress about that. And my whole life, I mean, like, this is kind of funny, too, but I've hit many deer in my life being from the Midwest. <laughs> it's like a, a whole new <laughs> angle on you I didn't know about. You're like a, you're like a danger to deer. <laughs> they're, okay, they're ding-dongs. Like, I don't even know. They're, like, got to be the dumbest animals on the planet. They just run out at your car. Like, they're, they really are a stupid You're being species. attacked by deer. <laughs> Anyways, there was, like, a time where I, like, I would hit deer 
coming home from wherever. Mm-hmm. And I would just have to like bungee cord my hood on to right. keep the, the hood on the car because <laughs> I didn't have that kind of money. And so now we're right. in this place where it's like, oh, you know, I mean, we don't like to pay 10K for car damage. Like that's not right. fun, but we don't right. have to like stress about where that money's going to come from. So like there was a point where that increase did happen, where it was like, oh, money is is really increasing our quality of life and our ability to make decisions and mm-hmm. to choose things that we want and to choose things, you know, just because. Right. But then there was this like leveling off that right. was very disappointing. <laughs> right. You were like, I thought it would just keep getting amazing, but actually <laughs> Yeah, totally. Where that's that thing, keep right? getting like, better. Right. After your basic necessities are met and it's removed yeah. as a like, oh, I'm not going to be able to function or feed my kids or keep a roof over my head. Yeah. Even with that, right? Then it's just I, – I, yeah. I always think about how like you read an interview with like a you know fabulously wealthy movie star or whatever. And it's like what they reminisce about is like that first job they got, right? Yeah. Or like when they were living in New York in a walk-up with five roommates, at right? It's oh, like yeah. – actually like the journey and the struggle and the first little bit of success that feels so amazing yes. right I and tell like, people that all the time like you'll never get this moment back this right? is like the and living in college also future focused right yeah. so it's like your first i think my first 100k was the most mind-blowing yes. my first million was pretty mind-blowing because i thought i could make 100k as a lawyer and i didn't ever think i could make a million i don't think every, anything will ever be as mind-blowing as that and that's not a problem yeah. i enjoyed it when it happened because i knew about this because i know about thought work yeah. so you know right like i did yeah. take the time to savor it but i do think like there is a big difference between obviously money makes a practical difference in your life right it would be like yes. non-realistic to say that that's not true and to the extent that like we have a fucked up system in this country and you need money to be able to pay your medical bills and get food. Like all of that makes a concrete difference in Don't your life. Don't even get me started. <laughs> but what it won't do, but this is like the exact thing. It comes back around to what we yeah. were talking about, right? Which is like it will not, even when you have it and can pay your bills, it will not create your emotions for you. It right. will not make you feel safe and secure in the world. It will not stop right. your brain from worrying. And when you believe that, you will be very disappointed yeah, when you it will get be there very and it doesn't I mean, happen. <laughs> Rachel and I talked on the on the interview I did with her about how she made a million and then she spent three weeks crying. Because like no matter how many times we told her that it wasn't going to change her life and like wasn't going to change her feelings, she was like, oh, yeah, you heard it. She was like, yeah, but like wink, wink, nod, nod, right? Like it is – it's like <laughs> we just say that, but really it is going to do it, right? And then it was like yeah. she did it and she was still her and she still had her brain and she still was upset about things yeah. and she still was a human and she was like, what the fuck is this? So I think <laughs> like this is a place that people – when people talk about coaching and money, I think often it gets misunderstood or like the nuance isn't there. Right? Yeah. Like, I don't think any of us are saying that it does not make a concrete difference in your life if you can pay for your medical care and for your yeah, kids to go to school. Yeah, there is a point where it's that. like, yeah. But the point is that, like, but our, I think my point is more like, we think those are the things that cause our feelings. Yeah. And they aren't, right? There are people with enough money to pay for everything who are desperately unhappy. Right. Look at all yeah. the movie stars who commit suicide, right? I mean, there are people who have everything in the yeah. world who are desperately unhappy. And there are people who have, not enough money to pay whatever bill and feel fine and the difference yeah. in their thinking. So my like, great grandparents were the best example of that. They were like the poorest of the poor of the poor, like very poor. My dad would actually like deer hunt for them to feed them. Like he would kill deer and turkey and like that would be their food for the year. Right. Like they were very poor, but they were the happiest people that I knew. Like they were just full of joy 
And that was an experience that I was able to take from that. And I think about that a lot now. You forget stuff like that, but my great grandparents, yeah. but they it's were like, very, it's not very about happy. romanticizing poverty, but it's also not about romanticizing yeah. wealth, right? The truth right. is that, yeah. like, not it's just you know, like it, you have it both ends of the spectrum. You're going to have examples on both sides, right? Right. So, like, no matter where you're going to end up, it's going to come down to managing your mind, whether you want to yeah. do that to change your circumstance. Like, if you're rich and you want to give away all your money, or if you're poor and you want to make money, or whether you're going to use it to be happy wherever you are. But, like, whether you're trying to change your circumstance or not, you're going to always have to use your brain. Yeah, 100%. Thank all you right. for joining me. Do you have any, any yeah. last thing you want to impart to the listeners? I don't I don't think so. I You're mean, good. I feel very – yeah, we had a good time. I feel good. Just interrupt people. That's the interrupt. lesson. That's interrupt the takeaway. Yeah. <laughs> Especially if you're one of my your... clients and I'm coaching you, just interrupt me. Just Yeah. And just then if, you're, if your topic doesn't get introduced, just reintroduce, reintroduce it Reintroduce it with persistence. <laughs> with Keep persistence. going. Fantastic. So I enjoyed chatting with you, my friends. Me too. Thank you. All right. I'll All right, talk chickens, to you chickens. That's it for this week. If you're loving what you're learning in the podcast, you have got to come check out The Clutch. The Clutch is my feminist coaching community for all things on Fuck Your Brain. It's where you can get individual help applying all these concepts I teach to your own life and learning how to do thought work to blow your own mind. It's where you can learn new coaching tools not shared on the podcast that will change your life even more. It's where you can hang out and connect over all things thought work with other podcast chickens just like you and me. It's my favorite place on earth and it will change everything. I guarantee it. Come join us at www.unfuckyourbrain.com forward slash the clutch. Or you can just text your email address to 347-934-8861. If you text your email address to that number, we'll text you right back with a link to check out everything you need to know about the clutch. 347 934 8861. Or again, just go online to www.unfuckyourbrain.com forward slash the clutch. I cannot wait to see you there.